Shut up and sit down. All right, all right, all right. Back at it again. The Quiet Part Loud podcast, episode number 11 today, and it's the 13th of February, 2018. Uh, Feeling good on this gray and rainy day here in London, but uh, but all is good. It's a Tuesday, and it's about uh, just before 11. Uh, And I'm sitting here watching... My first uh, little bits of coverage of the Winter Olympics. We've got some speed skating on at the moment. Men's 1000, so that's on in the background. And uh, I'm a big fan of the Olympics. I, I just love it. I think, I don't know what it is. I'm always just a fan of this kind of competition. You know, countries competing against each other. their best amateur athletes, except if you're playing basketball, because we got got rid of that um, a long time ago. But, uh, but I don't know. It's just, it's... When the fuck else would I ever be interested in like uh, what is the biathlon where they're like they're cross country skiing and then shooting at the targets like who gives a shit about that? But like all of a sudden I'm like, I want to see who the best skier and shooter is, you know, speed skating. Don't give a shit about speed skating. But I'll tell you what, put four world class athletes on the line on a skating rink and I'm in. I'm in. I actually, I just love it. Um, so obviously all the controversy around Russia and their athletes, they are being res, uh, represented under the banner of OAR, which is Olympic Athletes from Russia, uh, rather than even having their actual Russian flag on uh, on display. So that's, uh, that, that's super awkward. Um, almost as awkward as Mike Pence and, uh, and, uh, and, and Rocket Man's daughter, was it? Rocket Man's daughter sitting like two people apart, um, during the opening ceremony. Super weird. But, uh, that's our world, right? That's the world we're living in. We're living in a world where... We think we're so advanced and we're so far ahead and we're so good and we're so clever and all this shit. And then you've got, you know, you've got a dictatorship, a slave society in North Korea and the leader's daughter, is it daughter or sister, is sitting beside the vice president of the most powerful country in the world. And he wanted to do homosexual therapy on people. That's what we've got in our world right now going on. And to exacerbate it even more, right? The opening ceremonies, I saw some snippets of this, uh, some video clips of this online. And uh, well, one, they looked terrible. Looked terrible. There was fucking, there was nobody in the stands whatsoever. It's cold as shit out there, hence the Winter Olympics, but still, um, you know, you've got that that Tongan guy or whatever it is that he was rolling around in his native dress, buck naked, oiled up, looking like a swimsuit model, and, uh, and everybody else is freezing their ass off or decided to stay indoors. So the opening ceremonies from the bits that I saw sucked. And the only, the only saving grace for me was like, was the drones, right? 
Intel, apparently they collaborated with Intel on these, like, on these connected drones. So they're like synchronized drones and they can be, um, they can be synced up to perform any kind of shape combination and color combination and all of that, right? They did the Olympic rings and everything. And they did like a, like a silhouette of a snowboarder, et cetera, et cetera. It was filmed months ago. It wasn't even live. Like, I remember the 20, what was it, the 2012 Olympic Games in London. I mean, those opening ceremonies and I think the closing ceremonies as well were were spectacular. They were fantastic. I think even the ones in Beijing were really good. Um, fuck, these ones just sucked. So shit. Um, and, you know, I think we're three or four days in. I haven't watched any of it, but like I said, I'm starting to watch it now. Apparently Under Armour are getting into the sponsorship game. Um, for Olympic speed skating, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, so so it's all going on. Work is very, very busy, still working from home, um, but had a bunch of shit on this week. Uh, this kept me quite busy. Technical stuff, uh, won't bore you with the details because it, it make you pass out, um, but it is what it is and it pays the mortgage. So, uh, so we're doing that full-time. We're doing this part-time, bringing you the episodes, hopefully, uh, on a continued, consistent basis. Uh, like I said, episode 11 is on now. That's what you're listening to. And uh, and we're trying to do at least one of these a week. I say we, it's just me. You can hear from the echoes. I'm in a room all by myself here uh, in the front, uh, front room of my house. But uh, like I said, we're still doing the thing. We're still doing the thing, putting out content and hopefully getting uh, better each time we do it. So uh, just want to run through a few things. You know, probably won't be a, a long one, but I, I tend to always think that going into these. And then next time I look up the clock, it, uh, look at the clock or the timer, it's like it's it's post an hour. And I'm like, oh, shit, you know, are these guys going to be bored with the content or have they switch? Uh, you know, will they have switched it off already? Um, but like I said, I, I got all this. I got all this shit that spews out of my mind all the time. And sometimes it goes on Facebook and sometimes it goes on Twitter and sometimes it goes on Instagram. But with this forum now, you know, having the podcast and, and doing and doing the episodes on here, it really gives me a chance to uh, to, to get out some of the things that I'm thinking about and, and some of the things that, you know, that I love and some of the things that I have concerns with. So, again, we just want to be consistent, bring you guys uh, good content and fall into a routine with this. So I said to you before that once I have 10 episodes, I'm going to release them. So what I'm doing now is just looking at the best and easiest distribution uh, platform. A friend of mine in uh, in Asia does a podcast and he distributes through SoundCloud. Originally, I was looking at iTunes and then the uh, podcast apps across Android and iOS and things like that, right? But I got to get familiar with putting keywords in and, and, and tagging everything up and making it searchable and, and discoverable in iTunes and, you know, setting up an RSS feed and just time. That's all it is. And, and, and it's just time. So I think what we might do is we might look at SoundCloud after this episode and uh, and look at getting something distributed via uh, via that platform and then at least I can start to publish and then once I've started to publish then I can look at potentially doing iTunes and other platforms and things like that because we want to grow the audience right like we want to grow the audience we want to get as many of you guys listening to this thing as possible feeding back interacting like I've said before you know yeah you've, you've heard it all before right and to do that you have to be where the most ears or the most eyeballs are and that's iTunes without a doubt 
right? But but my friend seems to be doing very well or, you know, fairly well uh, with his podcast on SoundCloud. So maybe we'll give that a shout at the um, at the first instance and then evolve it out from there. But I just want to get you guys' content because I've started talking about it now um, to like friends of mine and people I work with and, and they're starting to ask where it is as well. And I'm a little reticent to say, uh, you know, here you go, have a listen, because obviously then you're exposed, right? And and then it's like, oh, you should change this, and everybody's got an opinion, and blah, 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 blah. But it's an inevitability, we have to distribute, or what the fuck is the point? I'm just creating a bunch of recordings for myself that I'm not gonna listen back to. This is for you guys, and this is to start a conversation. This is to bring people from either side into a central point to have a conversation that's hopefully constructive and progresses as past some of the chaos and some of the just insanity that we're going through on a day-to-day basis. And that's going to kind of inform this episode, actually, because, again, you know, it never seems to be a week off. You can never have a couple of days of rest uh, in in the world that we currently live in and with the news cycle and with the with the people that we've got running things, it's never a dull moment, right? I mean, God, these these broadcasters and these news outlets must be having an absolute field day. Um, there's a couple of bits of content I haven't listened to yet uh, that I'm still catching up on. But like I said to you earlier, work's been super busy um, and I just haven't had the chance. Plus, I've been obsessed with uh, pizza ovens. Uh, because I'm having my backyard renovated and I really want like a wood fire pizza out there. So, you know, in true typical fashion, I find something, I get obsessed with it and I go whole hog. So I've watched about 200 YouTube videos of pizza ovens being built and it looks like I could do it in my sleep now. I know it, I know it's like verbatim, the process, cinder blocks and fire, uh, fire bricks and refractory bricks and things like this and the concrete and the, um, the masonry cement and things like that. Like I know the process, the rebars and, and all of that, but I'm probably going to get somebody to just build it for me or buy one because I'm not, I'm not like a handyman. I'm just not that guy. And I kind of wish I was, and maybe, you know, maybe I can put it down to, I don't know, growing up without like a dad who, you know, generally initiates young, their sons, the young men, uh, into, you know, some of that trade skill development. I didn't have any of that. So, um, I grew up very analytical, using my head, using my mind, you know, talking, verbalizing, you know, or being athletic. But, you know, getting a hammer out or a saw or using like a bandsaw or, or things like this and working with concrete, pff, I've got like five minutes experience with that. And I know that if I buy all the fucking material, get a plan and a blueprint, <clears throat> yeah, I could probably follow it. But, you know, it'll be an inch out on one side and it'll fuck the whole thing up and then I'll be pissed off and it'll be like, well, actually I could have probably just thrown a grand at this and got it done perfectly. So I'm debating at the moment, but um, I still have to get my backyard renovated and then from there we'll see what happens. But I'm obsessed and, and, and this summer, come hell or high water, I will be making pizza in a fire wood in a wood fire oven in my backyard, 100%. I fucking, I have to be. The amount of time I've spent watching this content, figuring out how to do it, knowing I've got the space to do it, I'll be super pissed if I don't. So you guys can fucking hold me to that as well. Um, 
but I love it. I love it. I don't know if I just went off track there. Um, but uh, like I said, been a bit busy, but shit's been crazy. And, uh, and and we might as well jump right into it, right? I mean, what, what, what's been going on? We've covered the Olympics. Fantastic. And uh, and how shit the opening ceremonies were and how, uh, how much of a ripoff that Intel drone shit was. Um, now I got Claire Balding on, on the screen talking to some ex-athletes, I guess, but uh, not mad at that at all. Claire Balding can go, for sure. Uh, keep the guests. And uh, that's just me with a little bit of medicine coming in hot. Um, so I got my coffee, got my weed, Olympics in the background, and we got a shit ton to talk about, guys, for, for real. Um, where are we going to start? We're going to start by giving you your, your weekly dose of Trump as if you don't get enough of it elsewhere um, as the rain starts to come down here in London. Uh, what's been going on with this asshole this week? Um, I don't know if I touched on it last episode, but he's planning a military parade. And Oh, yes, I did because I was like, well, just YouTube it, right? Just Google and YouTube um, past military parades. And I think I mentioned like... You know, the last time the U.S. did one was at the end of the first Gulf War and George H.W. Bush put one on. Um, and that was super weird. But like the other ones are done by dictators as like a show of force to make people like scared and intimidated. And all this is is the dick swinging contest. And I can't believe they've actually like bent to it. Um, but anyways, he's getting rinsed. He's getting rinsed by everybody as he normally does and as he fucking deserves to because the guy's a joke. Um, I still haven't seen the picture of him getting onto Air Force One um, and his hair going ape shit, but like the infographics that I've seen uh, basically breaking down the construction of his uh, toupee, just hilarious. So I got to check out the video. It's it's supposed to be fucking just ridiculous. Um, so we'll, we'll have a look at that. But for me, ultimately, this military parade just boils down to a weak individual putting on a weak PR stunt that um, really is just a dick measuring contest. And it's a weak leader pretending to be strong. That's that's all this is. That's all this is, you know, because, again, and it's a distraction piece, right, from the shit that he's doing every day. Like... You know, people are grading his tax cuts. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to save 30, 30 bucks a year or 30 bucks a month or, you know, 100 bucks a month or whatever. And, and savings are savings, right? Everybody can use savings in their life, right? Especially in the kind of economic times we are because even though things seem to be on an upswing, that's not trickling down. The average person isn't feeling that. You know, people are still struggling. People are still holding multiple jobs down. And, you know, I'm not expecting instant gratification or anything like that. But he's praising all of these, like, bonuses and things like that because there's been a change to the tax code and businesses have to make this change uh, before the end of uh, whatever, the fiscal year, whatever it is. I don't know the details, but it's a fucking farce at the end of the day. And... The budget that he's released has just been kind of reviewed and, and mulled over by, by some of the other politicians out there. And the economists are saying it's going to add $7 trillion to their deficit in like 
what, seven years or something like that? It's fucking crazy. So my question is, if the country's going to be that stretched, and it's already stretched now, and he's not really funding anything, social programs or anything like that, the only thing he's really throwing money at is military spending, how are those tax breaks actually going to be a benefit? You know? Like you need your infrastructure and your services and your, you know, your, your welfare system and your, your health system and your environmental system and your transport system. I know that goes with infrastructure, but you need all these things taken care of so that people don't have to worry about paying for repairs on their car because they're driving down a road that's got potholes the size of Manhattan in it. That's an expense people could do without. And one of those expenses wipes, wipes this tax break completely off the picture, right? It, it, it makes it nil and void for most people. And don't forget, like we said, they're temporary. Because someone's going to have to pay to fund the military, right? And he's not actually making savings here because the budget that he's just released is going to increase the deficit. It's not going to bring it down. So the numbers don't add up to me. Um, it just seems to be making the rich richer and the poorer poorer in the long run. And what good is that for anybody? You know, but again, he'll be found out and he'll be gone and he'll be looked at as, you know, arguably the worst president in U.S. history, if he's not already. I mean, his approval rating is through the fucking floor. You know, that's going down the toilet every day. His reputation has never been worse, and it's never been good, but it's never been worse than what it is now. And what does he do to compound it? He sticks up for one of his uh, employees, one of his staffers, who's been accused of beating up his wife or, uh, yeah, abusing abusing his wife or his ex-girlfriend or whatever it was. Him and General Kelly, his chief of staff, first came out. And they're like, he's a good guy, does his job, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, but he beats his wife and you knew about it. And you stood by him publicly. To me, if you do that, you're done. As a high operating official in a government or the leader of that government, if you make such a, a misstep and a mischaracterization and a mishandling of a subject that is so clearly highlighted by, you know, the majority of the population at the moment, if you fuck that up, how can you be expected to do the rest of the job? If you're not conscious enough to know that you shouldn't have people who have openly been accused of beating up their wives... And it's been substantiated. How can you keep that person around? And if you do keep that person around and you come out in public, publicly support them, what does that say about you? Why are we not holding this fucking guy to the standards of a Louis C.K. or a um, an Al Franken or I don't know um, any of these guys? I mean, he's got like 11 or whatever, eight, is it eight women or 11 women that have, have open accusations against this guy for sexual misconduct, inappropriate behavior, et cetera, et cetera. These other people are resigning. Why is he not? 
Or why is he not being held accountable to have to take some action or fucking address it properly? That's my problem with the media is these soundbite segmentations that they do and these soundbite recording principles that they have. They never dig. There's no solidarity between the media, even though we've seen instances where CNN and New York Times might, you know, or the Washington Post might say, hey, you can't say that shit about, you know, this story or this reporter because they're credible and they've got integrity, etc. There's been a couple of instances like that. But ultimately, like I watched this, I watched this Sarah Sanders chick, right? The, uh, the communications uh, woman that does, that does the press briefings. And like one reporter will ask her something and then there may be a follow-up uh, question on the same subject by another journalist or another reporter. But as soon as she says, I've got nothing else to say on it, that's it? How is that it? Why are we not interrogating these guys more deeply? Why are we not holding these guys to account? When they fucking lie, why are they not called out for it? Because they've got no problem calling out the reporters, if they make the slightest error or the, the slightest fact-checking mistake or whatever it may be, they're fucking rinsed for it. Their integrity is stepped all over. They're, they're discredited at every single opportunity. Yet the same accountability is not thrown back the same way. And we focus on the numb bullshit. We focus on the mundane soundbite type of shit that's going to get us clicks, right? Like I mentioned earlier, Trump's hair. Me even looking for that <clears throat> is a waste of fucking time and it's defeating the actual purpose of how we should be uh, directing our attention. Who cares what his fucking hair looks like? He's a shit bag through and through. He's fat. He's bald. He's unhealthy. He's an idiot. He's a bully. He's a misogynist. He's a terrible bureaucrat and a terrible policymaker. Let's not worry so much about his hair and his diet. Let's go after these guys for the bullshit, for the actual shit that matters, like lying, like not being accountable for uh, the statements that they make and for the people that they support and for the actions that they take, right? I'm seeing people on the news that have lived in America for 30 years that have family that are being deported. I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing? Their arguments and their aggression and their bullying do not stand up under scrutiny have to be more aggressive. You have to hold these fucking people accountable and you have to call them out for the bullshit when they say it. If they lie, openly lie about a question, right, in response to a question, and you only follow up by repeating the question, you're not doing a good enough job. You have to follow up that lie by calling out that lie, substantiating how you know it's a lie, and then forcing them to address the question. And then when they say, no more time for you, we're moving on to the next question, that person, from whatever news outlet, has to do the same thing. And when they wipe that person's time off the clock, 
and they ask and call on the next person, they need to do it. So that if a press briefing only addresses one fundamental lie, topic, misleading point, judgment, whatever it may be, if the press briefing only covers that one point to force them to respond with something that they can be held accountable for, then that's how, in my opinion, that's how it needs to be done. You don't move on. You don't hit them with this, then that, then the other thing. Because they're fluffy. It's fluffy. And what you're dealing with here are bullies, right? So the only way to conquer a bully or stop them bullying you is to fucking hit them back. And hit them real hard. And look them in the eye after you've done it and say, guess what? We're fucking here to stay. You will not ruin or narrate the day. You will not dictate the narrative here because the narrative has to be truth. And when the narrative isn't truth, then the only response to that is by forcing accountability. We can't live in this parody anymore. We can't live in this world that is full of parody. Parody government, parody, parody legislation, parody foreign policy, parody unity. Everything is splintered. And the ones that are responsible need to be called out. And it's going to go to another point that I'm going to raise in a minute as well, which is the fucking absurdity that I've just seen with a movie release and people attacking a cartoon. Okay, so we'll get to that in a minute. But I just wanted to give you your kind of, you know, your 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 weekly podcast dose of some of the shit that Trump's been doing. And 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 again, my feelings around how we should be dealing with this. You know, it's like I think I've said it before, but it's the same with big brands, right? Fuck big brands if they act like they're too big. There needs to be a collective effort to sting these people in their wallet. Like I said to you before, you don't like Facebook? You don't like the way Facebook are serving your ads? Get off of the platform for a week. Just log out. One, it'll be really good for you because most people are turning into zombies. The second thing is it will truly hurt their pockets to a point where they will notice it. Right. It's like if we have a, if we had a collective day to change the, the, the transport uh, fees in this city. Everybody's allowed sick days. But again, this needs the help of the leaders, the CEOs and the bosses of these companies to support their staff because they're they're now becoming travel poor. Right. When you start to spend a certain amount of your wage on one particular thing that is over a certain amount that makes you poor in that regard, like energy poor or housing poor or travel poor or grocery, like food poor. When you make so little that when you buy your kind of, you know, your monthly grocery bills adds up to 30% of your entire wage. Your food poor. Or if your mortgage is like 60% of your entire wage, your housing poor, right? Because it's not equal. It's not it's not um, in line with the growth that you experience in your wage, in your take-home money, in 
you know, your outputs are far superior to your inputs and it leaves you struggling and suffocating every month, right? The only way to do that and take action on that is by speaking with your wallets and holding people accountable. I fucking told you guys at the very, very beginning when we started recording this, that one of the points and one of the main points that I have beef with is accountability. And there needs to be more accountability across every single facet of society, in my opinion. Because accountability is just not present anymore. And people can just bullshit and lie. And whether it be something, you know, kind of relatively insignificant, like an asshole, like uh, like this Logan Paul joker, who, again, releases a fucking video where he tasers a dead rat. Tasered a dead rat for entertainment that is generally shown to seven-year-olds because that's his demographic. His demographic are people that talk like, right? These are influential children or these are, I mean, if anybody over the age of sort of seven, eight, nine is tuning into this guy for entertainment purposes, there has to be a mental health check done. And I got to question whether or not you should even be allowed to be on the internet because it's those similar type of people that will leave the disgusting vitriol in the comment section across all media, right? Across all social media, blogs, forums, whatever it may be. These guys who, and you can look basically on any YouTube video, right? You'll go three comments down and then there'll be racial slurs of some kind, just banded about and then it just becomes a race war in the comments and a hate war in the comment section accountability right it's what i said last podcast about i don't believe that anonymous social media accounts should be allowed if you've got the nerve to come onto social media and further nerve to go ahead and shit on people like people were doing i think it was in context to tom brady after winning the super bowl but if you've got the balls to come online and talk shit to somebody, another human being is on the end of that computer, mind you, right? That's uploaded that content, spent their time doing it. And I'm not putting Logan Paul into this category because you can barely call his shit content. It's fucking garbage. It deserves to be deleted. He should be banned from YouTube, switched off because we don't need him. There's nothing there of value, right? So fuck that guy. But in terms of, you know, People who are uploading videos of, I don't know, pizza ovens being made or, you know, how to life hacks or whatever it may be. Video blogs from their travels or whatever. If you've got the nerve to have a social media account and the nerve to talk shit, bully and berate people through that. Then you should have to be identifiable. You have to be identifiable. You can't be anonymous. In my opinion, this is, right? My humble opinion. Who the fuck am I? And what do I know? But I think if you've got the ability to be able to put thoughts, philosophies, commentary out into the internet, then you should have an identity that is who you are so that we can come back at you or that you can at least be held accountable for it.
No more anonymous user accounts. No more bird eggs on Twitter. No more hot sauce 215937. None of that. Fuck that. I got a business account for my fitness. I got some social accounts that I'm launching for this podcast and then I've got some personal accounts on social media. And you can find out who I am through every single one of those. I would never hide behind commentary that I put online. And I put some shit out. I put some shit online. But it's my thoughts. And if I say something offensive and I get called out for it, that's fine. Let's have a conversation about it. If I, some, if I say something that's factually inaccurate and I can be called out for it, fantastic. Correct me. That's what I'm, that's what I'm promoting with this podcast, right? Is let's talk. I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything. I don't think I'm the smartest person in the world. I don't think that I'm infallible, but I try. I try to uphold a couple of standards. One, honesty. Two, accountability. And three, transparency. You know exactly where you stand with me. You know exactly how I feel on a certain subject. But you also know that Hopefully, that if I'm wrong about something, I'll say I'm wrong about something. I'll argue my point. I'm a great debater, and I can argue both sides of the point, and I think that's what a good debater is. Somebody who can argue a point and be convincing in that argument from a point of view that they don't actually even believe in, right? But that's also a bit sociopathic, and there's probably a bit of that in there somewhere too within my personality. Who knows? I don't know. But the point being is... I don't hide behind an eggshell. I don't hide behind an account that I can catfish people with or, you know, hide, hide. Social media. I mean, transparency is everything about social media, right? Anonymity is the antithesis. Is that the right word? I think that's wrong. It's the opposite of social media. Being anonymous is not being social. It's hiding. And if you're hiding, what are you hiding for? Because you know deep down that the shit that you're putting out online is one, garbage, but two, probably a reflection and a projection onto others of issues you're having with yourself. How's that for a bit of psychoanalyzing? But at the end of the day, Stop being a bunch of little fucking pussies. And if you have the nerve to say something, have the fucking balls to stand by it and own up to it and be accountable for it. If you're a fucking racist, be a racist, but be accountable. I don't want you hiding in the closet. I don't want you hiding behind an anonymous account. I want to know who you are. But of course, you don't want me to know who you are because then I can put a face to the name and I can I can call you out specifically. Whereas if you're hiding behind an egg, you can just throw all the vitriol you want my way and there's really no recourse because who are you, right? You're a, you're a random, randomly generated username with a bird egg for a logo. There's no accountability for that. And if you're one of those persons, 
one of those people, one of those persons, and you're listening to this right now, go fuck yourself. I hate you. I want you... It's not like a, a, a an all or nothing, right? Come out from the shadows. Let's talk. But whilst you sit there behind anonymity and false identities and you know you're hiding and you're being a coward then i hate you because i hate cowards stand up show yourself and be accountable you feel a certain way fucking own it be accountable sorry was that a bit was that a bit like a bit aggressive, a bit, uh, a bit, a bit sad, a bit dark. I don't know, but I, I don't care because it needs to be addressed. We've got too many, too many people out there doing this shit, you know, and I just think it needs to stop because it, it removes accountability, and that's the only thing that people actually respond to. You know that feeling when you were a kid of like <clears throat> being called down to the principal's office or getting in trouble by your parents when you're a kid. That feeling, that sinking in your gut, that sweat and that heat that comes over you of guilt. By being anonymous, you remove all of that. And I get it because that's an easy, safe place to be in. But we don't get anywhere if that's who you are. And if that's the type of, uh, that's the type of personality, the type of mentality that, you know, sensible, rational, reasonable thinking people have to engage with. And I know you don't have to engage with them, but like I said to you before, the only way to deal with a bully is to hit back. You know, it, it, it actually it actually makes me curious about something in terms of like protest and um, and defending one's position. You know, it's when like when does peaceful protest go out the window? You know, the whole the whole kind of philosophy around you know Gandhi and and liberating India from the British Empire and you know that was all peaceful protests right and Martin Luther King in the, in the um, in the end you know that was that was peaceful protest um, you know but then you got Malcolm X on the other side of it you know and you've got you know you've got people who who don't adhere to the peaceful route I just wonder when if you're committed to the peaceful protest, the nonviolent protest, the, you know, the sit-in type of uh, passive protest, as it were, I wonder when that goes out the window. Like, how many, how many skulls do you need cracked before that goes out the window? Because I've been calling for people to take to the streets in the States, in the UK, across Europe, for ages. Right? Especially around things like net neutrality. If there was something to march for, net neutrality. They should have been out in the streets by the hundreds of thousands. And there was barely a whisper. And look what happened. But you're like, oh, well, <clears throat> nothing's changed in terms of my internet usage. Nothing's changed in terms of the... Of course, nothing's changed yet. 
It only happened like a month ago, but it has happened. And now we wait and see where we go, right? Because why? Complacency. <sighs> Sat around and let it happen. Didn't voice an opinion. Those that did had no support. And three people on a panel of five decided what happens to the internet going forward. Great job. Anyways, that's my uh, that's that's my that's my little rant um, on, I guess those subjects for now. I don't know if I was meaning to kind of go anywhere in the end with that, but I just it was just something that I wanted to get off my plate because the absurdity of like where we're going now and the lack of accountability is it's just mind blowing. And I mentioned something a little bit earlier about um, a cartoon and and the absurdity around some of the comments on uh, from various organizations about a scene in this film, right? So let me break it down for you. There's a movie coming out <clears throat> in which James Corden plays Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit, um, was she Beatrix? Was that Beatrix Potter uh, novels? I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but they've made a film out of, out of Peter Rabbit. And apparently... One of the characters, a Mr. or Mrs. Uh, McGregor, in the film is allergic to uh, blackberries, I think it is, right? I, I don't know how that ties in. I haven't seen the film or anything like that. In one of the scenes in the film, and again, I haven't seen the film, so I'm reporting off of what I've read online, Hollywood Reporter, um, I think Mashable or Gizmodo or Engadget or somebody covered covered this. But there's a character in the film, they're allergic to blackberries. There's a scene in the film where this character is running through a field and uh, the animals are throwing fruit at him. And I guess the character has to use an EpiPen. So the backlash from um, uh, from some of these allergy foundations have just taken this as a PR opportunity from the gods to put their cause on the map. And I'm just going to see if I can find the post uh, from yesterday uh, that, that I'm actually talking about because, I mean, it is just absurd. Here it is. Uh, from the Hollywood Reporter, the Peter Rabbit in the Peter Rabbit movie, the character Mr. McGregor is allergic to blackberries. The rabbits fling the fruit at him in a scene, and he is forced to use an epipen. Right. So here we go. So I'm just going to read from the Hollywood Reporter really quickly. Um, Peter Rabbit filmmakers and the studio behind it are apologizing for insensitively depicting a character's allergy in the film that has prompted backlash online. Sony Pictures says Sunday in a joint statement with the filmmakers that food allergies are a serious issue and the film, in quotes, should not have made light, end quote, of a character being allergic to blackberries, quote, even in a cartoonish slapstick way. End quote. In Peter Rabbit, which was released this weekend, the character Mr. McGregor is allergic to blackberries. The rabbits fling 
the fruit at him in a scene and he is forced to use an EpiPen. The charity group Kids with Food Allergies posted a warning about the scene on its Facebook page Friday, prompting some on Twitter to start using the hashtag Boycott Peter Rabbit. Say that again. Prompting some on Twitter to start using the hashtag Boycott Peter Rabbit. The group said that allergy jokes are harmful to their community and that making light of the conditioning, quote, encourages the public not to take the risk of allergic reactions seriously. Keep going. Kenneth Mendez, the president and CEO of the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, wrote an open letter to the studio Saturday asking for the opportunity to educate the company and films and the film's cast on the realities of food allergies and urged the studio to, quote, examine your portrayal of bullying in your films geared towards young, uh, toward a young audience, end quote. The studio and filmmakers say they, quote, sincerely regret not being more aware and sensitive to this issue, and we truly apologize, end quote. First thing, hashtag boycott Peter Rabbit. Like, are, are you fucking serious right now? Like, what are we going to do? Are we going to have... Um, like the Dental Association of America boycotting the fucking Tooth Fairy because she promotes um, uh, giving away money or taking money f uh, from a from a magical character, and that can that can be detrimental to the to the viewpoint of of dental surgeries and the realities around dental surgeries, dental hygiene, and 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 gum and enamel problems. Like, what the fuck are we talking about here? You're telling me that Peter Rabbit. In this scene, and I don't give a fuck what happens in this scene, he could be pelted by every fruit in the world. Blast him in the head with pineapples and papayas. I don't give a fuck. Are you telling me that Peter Rabbit depicts bullying people with food allergies? Are you fucking kidding me, Kenneth Mendez? You should be fired, pal. You should be fired. Because in no way, shape, or form does that promote bullying. It's a kid's movie, right? And it's probably something like um, a defense mechanism that the rabbits are using to protect themselves from Mr. McGregor. I don't know what Mr. McGregor does. <clears throat> like I said, I haven't seen the fucking movie. What I have seen is this statement here <clears throat> and the reports that have come out as a consequence of this backlash. People taking to Twitter to boycott a movie, a cartoon about a rabbit? Have you got nothing better to do with your time? Do you think that people are gonna go watch kids, let's put this in context, you think kids are gonna go watch Peter Rabbit and then start secretly putting peanuts into the sandwiches and snacks and whatever of their fellow students who have peanut allergies? Like, you know, they're gonna act, like, are they gonna like, you know, seek and destroy with like little, um, little, uh, little sticks with peanut butter on them and go wipe them on their, on their students' faces or something? Like, how malevolent do you think people are? In fact, 
wipe that. It's not about that. It's about what I said previously. It's about a PR opportunity to draw attention to your cause because absolutely you're not doing a good enough job on your own and you need a cheap way to draw clicks. Bullying. Bullying in your films. I mean, I mean, what are we talking about here? This is what I mean. Like, right. The studio apologizes, right? Because they can't see, they can't be seen to be insensitive <clears throat> and not caring about people with allergies because we have to care about everybody exactly the same amount. And if that's not all the way, every time under every instance, we're assholes and we're oppressive and we're bullies and, and all of that, right? Like we're, we're horrible people if we go and see Peter Rabbit now, right? Because now with the hashtag boycott Peter Rabbit, it's not about... It's not about the film anymore. It's about the people that support the film, right? So if you've got kids and you want to take them to go see Peter Rabbit, be aware that you're going to support a, uh, a film that, that, that promotes bullying to people who have an allergy or an affliction to something. Dietary, right? So hashtag boycott Peter Rabbit. So what are people going to be looking for that support that hashtag? They're going to be looking for anybody on social media that posts, just been to see Peter Rabbit, love it, so they can attack them. So that they can be more sensitive to this cause than those people are who went to take their kids for an hour and a half of entertainment. It's got nothing to do with the entertainment factor now. You're just supporting a studio and a film that promotes bullying. That's what these social justice warriors do. And the statement from Sony should not have been that we weren't aware of food allergies or their severity. It should have been something to the effect of, in no way, shape, or form was this scene depicting bullying, the promotion of bullying, or an insensitivity towards people with any sort of allergy or, or, or dietary affliction. What this was, dot, 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 put the context of the, of the scene in play, in plain sight where people can see it for what it actually is, which is a cartoon. We hope everybody that has viewed the film has enjoyed it. We are immensely proud with our project. Social justice warriors, go fuck yourself. Peace, we're out, we're on to making the next film. That's it. You can't bend to these fucking people because once you bend to these people, you give them license to continue doing what they're doing. And we can't have it because that's the absurdity that is just being proliferated through society in every way, shape, or form. They're taking away our comedy. They're taking away our freedom of speech. They're taking away our freedom of thought. They're taking away any sort of individual individualism that we might have and hold sacred to bring us together as a conformed social group of constantly apologetic, um, oppressed people. Because like I said on the other podcast, if you're not the oppressed in today's society, then you have to be the oppressor because there is no middle ground for these people. And this is a, min a minority of people that do these things 
that then get a little bit of uh, a little bit of steam, not much momentum, but a little bit of momentum, and then they get picked up on something like me talking about it, which I fucking shouldn't have even mentioned, but I had to because I'm pissed off about it. Then you'll see it on the news, and then it'll gain some speed, and then they'll have a seven-minute segment with some asshole that doesn't know his dick from his elbow, and he'll be talking about how rancid people are because they support this movie, and then it'll become a thing, and then the hashtag will get retweeted, and it'll get some trending uh, momentum behind it, and then it'll be Sony. You know, it's fucking bullshit. It's bullshit, and we should be ashamed of ourselves for allowing it to happen. We should be ashamed of ourselves for allowing it to be perpetuated and we should be ashamed of ourselves for not standing up and calling these fucking people out at every opportunity because they've got no backbone. They walk around with the same posture as a fucking shrimp. They're crustaceans, man. They're, they're, they're low life forms, bottom feeders. Let's give them a voice and then let's hit back on the voice. You can say... I proudly stand up and defend your right to say anything you want. But even more vehemently, I defend my right to refute you, debate you, and throw rebuttals your way to show the absurdity of your thinking. You are allowed all of your own opinions. You are not allowed your own facts. And the facts behind what you're saying do not stack up. This Peter Rabbit thing was a PR stunt by some fucking assholes that need more funding because, you know what, their CEOs get paid too much. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a little look. And if I get the time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a look into both of those foundations. And what I want to know is for anybody that donates to those foundations, how much of every dollar, pound, euro you spend supporting that organization actually goes to the cause. I want to see how legitimate these fucking people are. Then I want to find out how much the CEOs are getting paid in terms of salaries. Then I want to call them out on Twitter. So in between me doing my job, this podcast and living my life, I'm going to do that as well. So... Peter Rabbit, go and see it. I'm sure it's, you know, very cute, you know, not particularly, you know, something that I'm going to go to the theater and see, but anybody that has kids or whatever, you know, support this movie. If, you know, especially now that we've got the absurdity of these clowns running around it, you know, I would say boycott uh, Kenneth Mendez and let's boycott his foundation. But then I don't want people who actually do have these food allergies to suffer. But maybe we should call for a reduction of uh, Kenneth Mendez's salary. And maybe we should use that reduction of salary to, um, to, to do a campaign around awareness for food allergies or a social campaign around that or a TV spot around that, you know, in a prime time slot. Let's use that money that, that is currently being paid to Kenneth Mendez to actually do something for the cause rather than allowing him to sit on his high fucking horse and uh, write open letters to studios about bullying. Fuck that guy. Fuck this sentiment. Fuck that hashtag. And uh, and fuck anybody that supports it. Yeah? So as long as we're clear on that. What else is going on? <laughs> Sorry. A little bit serious. I know, I know, I know. Very sorry. I think I, uh, I think I pressed pause mid word there um, because I had to run out 
uh, I was busting for a piss. I needed to make another coffee and I had to answer an email uh, for work. So uh, so we broke broke off a little bit there. But I think I think I was done on my tangent there. Um, so thanks for sticking with it. Hopefully there were some points raised there. Um, and I know I can I know I can I know I can kind of run off like that and. That's probably why this is actually the only real forum I can I can get these thoughts out in because once I start going I, I tend not to stop and um, you know not that I'm not a good conversationalist because I think I am and I, I, and you know I just when I get passionate about something or when I start to catch feelings about something I just go and. Uh, yeah. So anyways, fuck, I don't know what I'm apologizing or elaborating for. You just heard it. And if you don't like it, turn it off. And if you do, then on to the next one we go. Right. So I topped up my coffee, emptied my bladder, answered an email, and now we're back into it. We're already an hour in and I feel like we just got started. Fuck. These things are easy to burn through. When I first started like getting into podcasts and stuff like that, I'd see like Joe Rogan do like an hour 45 or two hours and a half and now he'll like i'm listening to him um and duncan trussell on his podcast and that one's like three and a half hours and i I used to think like how the fuck like how could you do that like it's so long what's really what's really incredible is it doesn't get up and he very rarely only on like the uh, fight companion podcast as he get up to have a piss, but he'll usually do like a three hour stretch and, uh, and he won't get up from his desk and I don't know how he does it. It's crazy. Um, but what's not very surprising to me now is the fact that he can go for three hours in terms of the conversation length, because that's easy to do. I'm sitting here on my own with a, with a little espresso and, uh, and, and I'll smash out an hour on Donald Trump, the fucking Winter Olympics and uh, and Peter Rabbit, you know what I mean? Like, it's uh, it's a funny old thing this podcasting, uh, but I, but I do I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it. I just want to get this thing set up right, um, and and maybe I'll bring in some help to do that. But we'll we'll see we'll see. Um, anyways, what else is going on? Uh, it's been a fun week. Was it last week or the week before that Elon Musk? Um, sent his car to Mars and missed. And now it's just fucking floating around the galaxy uh, um, with like a little, uh, a little mannequin astronaut uh, driving the Tesla, right? I mean, this guy. So in the past couple of weeks, I've been a bit torn, right? Because I, I think fucking, I think Elon Musk is like, you know, He's incredible. I mean, you know, talk about a guy that can get shit done. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to fix transport, start drilling under LA. You know, imagine if a normal person went and asked somebody if they could do that. If I was like, hey, uh, London, I know we can fix this. I want to dig underneath the tube, underneath the subway, and we're going to do cars. What I'm going to do is going to send cars down on an elevator and then put them on a fucking sled and shoot them 100 miles an hour through the city. They'd be like, what? (sighs) What are you talking about? Elon Musk comes knocking at your door. Listen, I got this idea. They're like, yeah, how much money do you want for that? You know, and whether it be Tesla 
or SpaceX or um, you know he's doing the um, the solar right so he's got solar vehicles he's got solar for your house he's got the battery packs to enhance save store and redistribute the solar he's got the uh, roofing tiles that are solar uh, he's got uh, the electric cars he's got the boring company which is gonna fix transport he's got uh, hyperloop uh, which is gonna again fix transport but then he brings out flamethrowers and that confuses me a little bit and maybe I haven't been looking in the right places um, or maybe I just haven't been looking enough but if you guys know why he's done this I'd love to hear about it because I just started seeing like these ads for it was like a it's like a tesla flamethrower and like the little gift that's online is just some guy some girl holding the flamethrowers and they're like handheld you know what are they like sawed off shotgun length type of flamethrowers but i'm like well why is he selling those and maybe I need to go on YouTube and, and just have a look at see if there's any videos or, or if they've been shipped. I don't think they've even been shipped yet, but they're apparently that's the end of the run. They sold was it like 75 or 80,000 flamethrowers for 500 bucks a pop. Um, you know, a little cash injection just because he fancied it. You know, that and Tesla hats, you know, buy one, buy the other combo deal. Um, the combo deal was actually the fire extinguisher, right? For, for an extra 30 bucks, you get yourself a fire extinguisher. 500 for the chaos, 30 to quelch, quelch, <laughs> quelch, um, to, um, to, to extinguish, you know, fucking names on the bottle, um, to extinguish the chaos. Um, I noticed that the flamethrower is not enormous, but neither is the fire extinguisher. And, uh, well, we know ratios, right? So we know how that works. You know, but I'm just curious as to why he did it. Was it just for a cash injection? In which case, I think, well, couldn't you just made like something else? Uh, not, you know, not this dragon breathing uh, handheld gun. <laughs> it's just weird to me. But uh, but anyways, there you go. Nobody fucking stopped him because it's Elon Musk and it's like, do what you want. But it kind of it kind of makes me question how benevolent he actually is. And maybe I'm looking a bit too much into it. I don't know. Perhaps. Maybe. Um, but I don't know the reason. Until I know the reason for why he was selling the flamethrowers, I'm going to have some some kind of like, uh, I, you know, I don't know how comfortable I am with that uh, type of thinking around him um, and his overall intentions. Because right now he's gaining control over major commodities for sure. Um you know, in a, in, a, in a list of kind of products that he's put out and, you know, inventions he made or whatever, you know, PayPal and, and all of that, the flamethrower is a bit of a weird one. It's a bit of a weird one for me. It'd be fucking dope to have one, though. I should have ordered one. Um, you know. Just going out to light the barbecue. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, fucking hey, starting my wood oven pizza uh, or my wood fire oven <laughs> with a Tesla flamethrower. That'd be one. That'd be one. I should have got one. Um, but it's it's weird, you know. It, it it just it's that little kind of well, why do you do that? And then that why leads to a, a I guess a running of my of my thought process that says. What's this guy really like? Because if you read the accounts of how he is as a boss and how he is as like a husband, he seems like a real horrible, nasty fucking piece of work, right? But then I'm thinking, well, anybody that's an atypical personality, you know, a super high achieving, like incredibly like out of this world, successful, rich, you know, type of person, they're not going to be normal. They're not going to be a normal citizen. They're going to be very idiosyncratic, very, very kind of just, you know, peculiar in, in their own way. And from all accounts, the things that I've read in terms of like how he operates his business and his relationships, he um, he doesn't doesn't seem like a very, very like nice, cuddly guy. Because like. If you um, if you read anything, any accounts about him, like I heard one about an employee of his at Tesla, I think it was, that was having a baby and he wanted the day off uh, to be at the birth, you know, the delivery of his baby, the birth of the baby. I think Elon wrote him an email that said something to the effect of what we're doing here at Tesla is more important than your baby. You make the decision, basically. Um, I don't know what happened to that guy, uh, but that was a, that was a story I, I read. I, read. Um, I didn't fact check it, but why the fuck would he lie? Apparently, uh, there was a story from, I think, one of his ex-wives that said... Uh, during the dance on their wedding day, he said, um, you know, something to the effect that like, I'm the alpha in this relationship and, um, basically what I say goes and, you know, it continued, she blew it off, but it continued. And he would often say to her, she would, she would say to him, I'm not your employee, I'm your wife. And he, he would respond very simply by saying, if you were my employee, you would have been fired already. Um, you know, just, it seems like a prick, really. And if you look at the pictures of Elon Musk from, you know, a few years back, he was not a good looking guy. Not that he's like, you know, some fucking, you know, cover model now or anything like that, but at least he got his hair fixed. You know, whatever was going on with his hair, um, was atrocious and you know he would definitely have to pay for sex looking like he used to look um, but clearly he's fixed himself up and he's a true indication of what money can buy you in terms of you know how you look and how you present yourself and all you have to do for a second um, example of that is look at Jeff Bezos um, during the startup of Amazon to now because in in the early days of Amazon, he was an accountant. He was somebody who you would probably look at a mugshot for and say, "Yeah, he 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 has child porn on his uh, on his computer." 
you know, and now he looks like the fucking Terminator. You know, he's clean, he's, he's, he's blemish free, skin's tight, muscled up, you know, just looks completely, he looks like a fucking, he, he looks like one of those, like, you know, one of those cops that gets called in or one of those, like, guys in the movie that gets called in to fix shit. And it's just like, yeah, call Jeff, he'll know what to do, you know. And have you seen the photo? There's a side-by-side on Google Images of him um, when Amazon was just selling books and him last year when he's worth $100 billion. Um, it's night and day. They're two different people. And they're the same with Elon uh, back in the like kind of PayPal, pre-PayPal days um, to now. Completely different people. So it's just like, you know, that with like hearing some of the accounts of of what it's like to work for him. Um, and then you kind of, you know, you throw on a flamethrower and I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Was there actually somebody inside that astronaut suit? Like, was that somebody who like refused Elon funding in the early days or somebody in high school that, you know, maybe bullied him for being a fucking geek? And he's kept tabs on him, you know, like uh, like Steve Buscemi's character in uh, in what was it in in Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, um, where Steve Buscemi's putting the lipstick on and then scratches uh, his name off of the list. <coughs> maybe Elon's got a list, and maybe him proving that he can launch Teslas into and past the orbit of Mars. Um, Maybe that list got one person smaller and maybe that wasn't just an empty mannequin suit uh, or a, empty, uh, a mannequin in a, in a space suit or an empty space suit. You know, maybe uh, maybe one of his known or unknown to them enemies was in there. Who knows? Who knows? I just I read a I'm not a comic book guy, but I read a um, I read an adult comic when I first got my Kindle back in the day, um, it was called Twisted Dark. And I think it was like the first of like, I don't know, maybe five volumes or something like that. But there was a story in there about a guy who, he was effectively like a Zuckerberg type character or an Elon Musk type character or a Jeff Bezos type character. And he ran this incredibly successful global kind of, uh, corporation that um, that did connected glass, right? Um, it would be the sort of thing where you could have this glass, uh, you know, replaced in, and put in your windows because of its photovoltaic properties and its um, energy capturing properties and its heat resistant properties and its display properties, right? You can have a window and you could call up your email on there or whatever it may be. And you could have those instead of actual physical walls, uh, in a traditional sense, because you change them to be brick exposed or, you know, have your favorite kind of design on them or put a mural on them, right? Like that kind of whole augmented reality and that kind of interactivity with the, with the connected glass. And this guy was lauded over as being like, you know, just this amazing technology savant type of character. And they make a, they make a note in, in the comic uh, throughout the story to, to, to notice this guy has a scar on his face um, and he was very kind of um, introverted, didn't really like, you know, the limelight. He was very mysterious type of character. And anyways, the, the second half of the, of the comic turns out that 
his uh, his his windows start malfunctioning, causing all of these fires and these deaths, and people trapped inside their houses, burning to death, and 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 office buildings uh, burning down, and, and and all of this stuff, right? And the final kind of scene pages of the comic are him sitting in a control center switching them all off or not switching them all off overheating them all so they all blow up like there's a mechanism built in to the technology that allows him to overheat them burst them into flames blow them up explode them right and uh turns out he was taking revenge on something that happened in his childhood where he was caught in a fire and he spent his entire developmental stage becoming smart and intuitive and and technical and to create this huge conglomerate company that was in every single home so he could exact his revenge and it's a comic book right it's fiction made up no basis in reality except for there are characters out there like that and we don't know their level of malevolence Right, We see Elon Musk wanting to tile everybody's houses in solar panels and to give us um, cars that are autonomous. Um, you know, we don't have to worry about driving now you know, under Elon. We can get in these Hyperloop machines soon enough and go 200 miles an hour that take us from LA to San Francisco in fucking two minutes. You know, um, you know they're, they're, they're proposing them in England to take you f- like from London to... Uh, Edinburgh in uh, in like 40 minutes, which normally would take you a few hours, you know? And I just wonder, is it all benevolent intentions? I wonder. I wonder. You know, which is one of the reasons I won't have like an Echo or a uh, like a like a like a Google Home or an Apple Home Pod or any of those things. I, I don't want those in my house. I don't want somebody, I know they can listen through the phone, I know they can listen and watch through the laptop, etc, etc, but I don't want to have a fucking speaker in my house that's just listening to me all the time, sitting on my mantle, that's just tracking everything, you know, it's like, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on another podcast or not, but look up, if you think this is all conspiracy bullshit and you're overthinking it, Daryl, and don't be so paranoid, Daryl, and all this stuff, look up, um, you know those Roombas, those auto, um, those self-driving, self-guiding vacuum cleaners? Google those. But Google with it, um, Google Roomba sells house data. Just Google that. And what you'll find out is that these Roombas, these auto vacs that you basically turn on, leave, and they guide themselves around your house and around your floors... Um, they're mapping your house. They're mapping the floor plan of your house and that company is selling that data to Amazon, uh, Facebook, whoever wants it basically, whoever wants to pay for it. Um, That data is available. So now they're going to be able to see into your house. They're going to know exactly what kind of house you live in. Um, And I just, I got a fucking problem with that. Like, I have a problem with that. Don't, They say, oh, we want your data so we can serve you advertising. And this is my game, people. This is what I do to make my money, right? I'm in advertising. I'm in targeting you with advertising. And it's a gross, gross racket, and I hate it. 
but it's how I make my money. And it's a function that's not going anywhere, but it's not, it's not something that I enjoy. It's not something that I like and not something by any stretch of the imagination that I'm proud of. But this is what Facebook says, right? They want, a, they want an open, connected world and, and blah, blah, blah. But they don't. They just want to know as much shit about you as possible so they can continue to use you as a commodity. You are the product, not their platform. The platform is a facilitation to get the product that they want all in the same place so they can flog you shit, learn about you, conduct experiments on you, and make money from you. That's it. They don't give a fuck what you post on Facebook unless it goes um, it, unless it goes against the grain of their social uh, positioning, right? Uber liberal, ultra progressive, um, equality of outcome type of motherfuckers is who we're talking about here, right? It's uh, it's a no go for me. I don't like it. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't even know where that started. Um, oh yeah, it started with fucking Tesla, didn't it? With Elon sending uh, sending his big ass Falcon Heavy rocket up uh, up to the moon, and uh, and and how how malevolent he might be with all of the stuff that he's doing. I don't know. I just like to be aware of both sides, you know, and the possibility that maybe he's not just doing this for our benefit. You know, maybe there's some people he wants behind the wheel of a Tesla so he can drive them off the Grand Canyon. Maybe there's some people he wants solar panels uh, on the roof of their house that he can control. Maybe he wants a battery pack on the side of your house so he can induce a fire. I don't know. I don't know. I'm throwing speculation and a lot of conspiracies at him <laughs> and out there, but I don't fucking know. I don't know. Is this guy just like a beautiful, beautiful a benevolent person that just wants everything good for everybody and has no malevolent bones in his body. I don't see it. I don't see it. But maybe I'm wrong. Either way, imagine if that guy that they had, that mannequin in the Tesla that's orbiting <laughs> that's orbiting Mars or fucking shot way past Mars. Imagine if it was like a person in there. It just—I don't know. Ah, fuck, I'm I'm a fucking weirdo. What do you want me to say? Um, <laughs> so sorry, sorry. I just go on these tangents sometimes. Um, what the fuck else is going on, guys? We're almost done. We're almost done. We're an hour and twenty in. Fuck me. Um, right, we'll wrap it up in a minute. We'll wrap it up in a minute. Uh, I think the last thing I'm going to end on is I was going to do. I was going to do a preview for UFC 221, uh, Yoel Romero versus Luke Rockhold, but um, I didn't end up getting around to it. I just got busy with work and, uh, and, and I didn't have the opportunity to do it. So I wanted to take the opportunity to do a, a quick recap um, and just touch on some highlights for me um, around the event, which I thought... I, I was half expecting a stinker, and I think on the last podcast I said that I'd like I'd probably highlight uh, the main event and maybe the co-main event, but that was all I was really interested in. Fucking hell, was I wrong? It was a really, really good card. It was actually a really, really good card. I mean, the main event was um, was a two-round 
uh, was a two rounder of five. And, you know, it, obviously, if you've seen it, you know, but Yoel Romero knocked Rockhold out. And <clears throat> I don't know what, to what degree Rockhold leaving AKA was. But ever since he got knocked out by Bisping, he just doesn't seem to be, he just doesn't seem to be the same killer, right? And I want to just preface me going into this or preface anything that I say about UFC fighters or UFC events or, you know, any of my criticisms about fighters or their performances or the matchups or any of that stuff. I just want to preface all of that by saying that this is the number one sport that I love. It's the number one sport that I watch. It's the number one sport that I have, you know, the most respect for. Uh, I think it's the sport with the most consequences. I think it takes the most dedication because of the, the magnitude of the consequences. If you lose, um, the accumulated consequences of having a long-term fight career, um, and I just want to preface everything that I say about anything to do with the UFC or mixed martial arts or fighting combat sports in general with the fact that I have nothing but the utmost respect for every single person that steps into that cage or ring, octagon, whatever. Anybody that actually decides to go through and compete in a sport that has the type of physical consequences that fighting does, my hands are up with nothing but respect for every single one of you every single time uh, that you go out and put your body on the line for entertainment. And especially with the fact that you're, for 99% of the people that participate in these sports are underpaid, underappreciated, and underpromoted. So I just, like I said, want to preface anything that I say now or in the future or have said in the past about the UFC, about Bellator, about any MMA competitors um, with the fact that you have my utmost respect. And it's never a criticism on you as a person, but I love the sport. I try to pay attention to it as much as possible. I try to know the technical uh, idiosyncrasies of all the disciplines and when I criticize or I make a call, it's not to shit on anybody. It's to hopefully give an honest reflection of how I feel about the contest that is upcoming. And if I do a preview, then it'll be in respect to that. But if I do like a sort of a, a look back, a, a review of an event or anything like that, um, then it'll just be based on what I saw. And in some cases, I'll be way off, and that's what you guys can hold me to account for. Um, and sometimes I'll be bang on, like I was with the Stipe Francis Ngannou fight. You know, I knew that guy didn't have any other skills other than throwing those cinder blocks of hands he has, um, and that Stipe was a much well more well-rounded fighter, and that once Stipe could get inside and or withstand the shots that Nganu was going to throw, that he was going to own him. I didn't know to what extent and how bad it would actually be, but I called it. And it might have sounded like a disrespect for Nganu, 
or Ozdemir when I previewed the Cormier fight, etc. I'm not doing it to shit on people. I'm not doing it to um, belittle anybody. I'm just making calls as I see them, as a fan, as an enthusiast, and as a longtime supporter of mixed martial arts and the UFC in general. So I just want to preface that before um, you know I get any undue kind of backlash about my opinions on it because nobody has more respect for these fighters than I do. I fought when I was a little kid um, in kickboxing matches, in boxing matches, never, ever, ever to the level of any of these guys, but I have taken my lumps, I have trained, I have done all of that. Um, so I hope that I have a little bit of actual, you know, practical experience with it to talk on it as well. But like, I'm not claiming to be Luke Thomas or Joe Rogan or, you know, these types of, of caliber guys. But what I want to do is give people who maybe don't know about it or have maybe just dipped a toe in it, a taste and a flavor for what this thing is. Because at the height of this sport is a beautiful thing to see these guys do what they do. It's a beautiful thing. And, and I want to put people onto it. I want to make it bigger than it is. I want to help in any way I can. Because um, I've been watching it for, God, like 20 years. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's the most honest, raw form of competition that we have available to us. Um, so with that said, I just want to have a look back at 221, the Rockhold and uh, Romero card. So yeah, so I just I just hope we're clear on that. Um, I want to be abundantly fucking clear on that right from the jump because again, I've heard of situations where even people like Mike Rappaport, Michael Rappaport, have just been berated online for their views on a fight and a competition. You know, calling him a a racist and and shit like that for you know supporting a, a white fighter over or a black fighter over a white fighter, so on and so forth. Just fucking crazy. So um, I don't want there to be any confusion on the fact of how much I respect these guys, how much I love this sport, how much I value it um, as an entertainment, as an art. Um, and that my criticisms are only that from an objective point of view and have nothing to do with the person's character, um, attitude, or anything like that. If they do, then I'll say it. Like, if I got a problem with, like, say, Fabricio Verdum, Fabricio Verdum, for instance, right? You cannot take anything away from the man's talent and his skill as a fighter, as a jiu-jitsu player, or anything like that. But I don't like his fucking attitude. I don't like that he hit Colby, Coving Colby Covington with a fucking boomerang. I don't like that he makes that stupid face with his pursed up lips. I don't like it. I don't like his attitude. I don't like how he presents himself. I think he's fake. Um, but he's a hell of a fighter. You know? So, all due respect to the skills. But if there's a problem with the personality, I'm going to let you know. Um, but if I criticize, like, for instance, when he ran in and got clipped by Stipe and KO'd flatline when Stipe won the title, I'm going to criticize that tactic because, you know, it's clearly not a good tactic. It's clearly not smart fighting. It's clearly emotional fighting. So I will point those things out, but I'll never say Fabricio's a pussy or Fabricio's you know, a fucking idiot or a stupid fighter or something like that. No, there was a glitch in that 
strategy and he probably let his emotions get the best of him, right? That's how we address these things, especially with fighting, because any of these guys that step into the octagon um, or the ring or whatever would fucking kill you in a combat uh, competition, right? In any sort of combat scenario, you lose against those guys unless you got a fucking gun, right? So the past event, 221. And I swear we're going to wrap on this because we're an hour and a half in. <laughs> um, but the main event, Yoel Romero absolutely fucking just KO'd Rockhold in the second round. And I mentioned a little bit before, right? Like, I think, I don't know if it's because he's left AKA or if he really hasn't mentally bounced back uh, from the Bisbing loss and the Bisbing KO. But since that fight, Rockhold hasn't looked like the same killer. Um, even he fought David Branch. And I mean, he fucking like that was a second round, like just he submitted him. It was just brutal. Just his top game is ruthless. Um, but he even took some licks then. And in the first round, it was like, mm, what kind of Rockhold are we seeing? A little bit of rust on the bones there, you know. Uh, a little time away, you know, he took a he took a substantial break after the Bisping fight, which is absolutely fine, but expect the ring rust. Um, but it's this, it, there's something, you know, there's like a spark or something. And uh, and I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know Luke. You know, Luke's a phenomenal athlete. He's an amazing fighter. He's got every single skill set you could imagine. Um, but he... He changed his camp. He left AKA, which is, you know, arguably one of the best uh, teams to be a part of in mixed martial art. I mean, they've got Cain Velasquez. They've got um, Daniel Cormier. They've got Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov. I mean, who else do you want as stable mates, right? And then he went over to uh, another camp. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's basically the one Ozdemir uh, trains at, which was really kind of weird, right? Because Ozdemir just fought Cormier, and in some of that embedded uh, kind of lead-up footage, you could see Rockhold training in the same sessions as Ozdemir, and it was really, really weird. Um, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I, I, I'm not a fighter. I don't have, you know, I don't, I don't know what goes through their heads. Um, to make these decisions or, you know, what their, their psychology is like leading up to the fight. But I don't, there were some good low kicks and stuff from Rockhold in the first round, but it didn't seem like he was pressuring Romero. And maybe that was because there was a takedown um, fear there, or I don't know, like just kind of leaping in and getting that explosion from you, um, from Romero. I'm not sure if that made him just a bit tentative or whatever, but it didn't seem like he, it didn't seem like he was continuing the forward pressure as, uh, as we've seen him in other fights, like the Weidman fight and things like that. Um, which was really strange for me. And I knew something was up about like a minute and a half, two minutes into the first round. It just didn't seem right. And I had Rockhold winning the fight because I think, you know, overall he's a more, um, he's a more skilled fighter. He's got, uh, he's got more attributes, I think, than Romero does. But, you know, Romero's a savage. 
He's a he's a murderer. I mean, you know, Whitaker pieced him up and and did work for five rounds on him. But you know, Romero is a monster. He's a freak athlete. He's medaled in every single wrestling competition he's ever been a part of. He's he's just a he's a monster. I mean, he looks like a superhero. If there was a physique that I could just like you know snap my fingers and have, it'd probably be his. Um, it's just. He's a savage, savage competitor. And, um, you know, that mixed with the lack of kind of spark or aggression that I would have liked to have seen out of Luke Rockhold obviously led to the result that we got. Um, but I think the major key component was 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 that. It was the forward pressure. Because you can't let, um, you can't let UL catch his breath, take a rest, bounce around get fluid use his like you know change of pace like he's like a really like smooth point guard right that kind of like lulls you to sleep and then hits the jets and just you know is past you or it's a start and stop and and a step back and you know that sort of thing Romero's kind of like that he'll he'll kind of you know be on his toes and kind of bouncy and then you know maybe throw a couple half punches or a soft leg kick and then all of a sudden it's like a fucking tornado that just comes after you so i think not putting the pressure on uh romero and forward pressure getting moving backwards you know uh was was probably one of the fundamental errors in the fight for rockhold but then the second one i guess was how the fight finished it was in the same fashion as the bisbing um, KO. He clipped him behind the ear. Was it right ear? I think it was. And dropped him and then KO'd him with the ground shot. Right? That's a, exactly what Bisping did. And it's exactly what Romero did. And I don't know if that's just a technique issue that Rockhold's got. Um, you know, not kind of keeping that right hand up enough. He always generally gets hit behind the back of the head, sort of, you know, behind the ear. That's a real sensitive spot. You get hit there. And, uh, I mean, even if you do it like that with the, with the palm of your hand, like softly, you can feel your equilibrium go. Now imagine getting hit by an athlete like Yoel Romero or more, more Michael Bisbing, you know, it's just one of those spots where it's like, you know, that's going to, that's going to buckle your legs and make you real vulnerable. And it's happened now twice. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think Branch even hit him with that shot as well. So something to address there. But I'm not sure where Luke goes, um, who he fights. Um, but I'm not entirely sure who Yoel Romero fights again either. Because um, obviously we've seen him fight Whitaker. Whitaker beat him pretty decisively. Uh, Five-round decision. Um so we've seen that the rematch really doesn't do anything for me, um, which was kind of why, you know, along with the skill set, it was kind of why I was picking Rockhold to win uh, because that would have set up the Whitaker um, Rockhold kind of unification fight. Um, but I don't see that happening now because he lost. Um, so it's a weird one. Uh, it's a bit of a weird one. So, I don't think anybody in that division's beaten Robert Whitaker. If Robert Whitaker's healthy, he's just got too many skills. He's too aggressive. His boxing's too sharp. Um, but they can't give UL. Uh, there was no interim title for UL in that fight because he didn't make weight. He came in three pounds over. Right? If Rockhold would have won, it would have been an interim title. He would have fought uh, Whitaker for the unification match. If 
Yoel would have come in on weight, same thing. It would have been an interim title fight with the winner fighting uh, Whitaker, which would have been their rematch. But what do we do now? I'm not really sure what we do now. Um, so it's a bit of an interesting one. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that. But it was a good fight while it lasted. I just didn't think Rockhold looked as sharp. I would have liked to have seen him put more pressure on Romero, put more... Uh, multi-punch plus kick combinations together and I didn't really see any of that and you know he caught um, he caught a check kick uh, very early in the first round and was split Rockhold was down his shin I don't know what kind of impact that had on him throwing more leg kicks or throwing more kicks in general but I don't know just something was off for me with Rockhold and I really hope he finds whatever may have been missing uh, from his life from his camp from his training from his mentality, I don't know, I, I don't know, but like, you wanna talk about skill and talent? Fuck man, Rockhold just, I mean, he, before he lost to Bisbing, their first fight, he just demolished Bisbing and he fucking, he choked him out with a one-arm guillotine. Like he's a, he's a savage, he's a savage. Um, but like I said, something was missing, so. Um, so we'll see where, where that division goes from here, but we need Whitaker back and healthy because he is by far, in my opinion, the top of that weight class um, and a really dangerous, bad motherfucker. Love watching him fight. Love Rob, Robert Whitaker. And it would have been great to have him on the card, which I think was initially the, the, the schedule, um, but obviously he had a major staph infection that attacked his organs and he was proper fucked up. Um, so obviously nothing you can play around with. It wasn't to the level of like, you know, um, Kevin Lee coming in with staff and, and not choosing to do the antibiotics or anything. It was a lot more serious than that from the things that I've read and things that I've heard. Uh, so hopefully he's recovering now and, and he'll be back um, because it'll be interesting to see what happens with that division. Um, the co-main event was really interesting as well. Uh, that was uh, Mark Hunt and Curtis Blades. And Curtis Blades um, only had one loss on his record, and that was to Nganu. Um, and I think that was... Was that a decision? No, it wasn't a decision. Um, so, yeah, that was... It was a really interesting fight, right? So Curtis Blades, Mark Hunt in the co-main event. And... Um, so... The fight started out and Mark Hunt clapped Curtis Blades about six times and, I, and and he was on fucking Queer Street. He was wobbling all over the place um, and sure enough, dead to rights. Mark Hunt had him laid out and it would have been kind of a cap for the Australian contingency because all the Aussies, I think, won that night. It was amazing. Um, but... Uh, Fucking Curtis Blade weathered the storm and then just kept wrestling and just kept taking him down. Um, it was uh, 10, 10 takedowns Curtis Blade had in that fight after being fucked up in the first round. But if I look back at the stats, I mean, it wasn't even close. You know, I mean, the judges gave it 29-27, 30-26, and 30-26. It was a unanimous decision by some margin um, but 10 of 14 takedowns for Curtis Blades, really impressive and more so the, uh, impressive than the takedowns because let's be honest, once Mark Hunt gets a bit tired, you know, you take him down and well, you know, it is what it is. 
But the resiliency, the fact that he took those shots from Mark Hunt, who is, you know, arguably one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful puncher in the heavyweight division, he weathered that storm, came back, wrestled, stuck to his guns, took him down, held him there, put some ground to pound on him, and uh, and, and and won a very, very convincing, uh, very convincing decision. So uh, really interesting stuff for Curtis Blades because, like I said, he's... Uh, he's nine and one. Uh, I think his only loss is to um, yeah Francis Ngannou, and that fight was. Uh, bear with me just a second. That was a TKO. That was a TKO. But he took um he took Ngannou down, and showed his wrestling pedigree there. I think he was a he was a JUCO wrestler or something like that. Um, yeah, really good. Uh, obviously, we had Jake Matthews and uh, Lee Jingliang, which was just a fucking barn burner scrap. That was amazing. But I have to say, um, Jingliang, what an asshole. At one point in the fight, uh, Jake Matthews had him in a guillotine on the floor um, with Lee Jing, um, Liang Jang, what's his name? Uh, Jingliang uh, on top. And Matthews had the guillotine in there and was wrenching it so tight, and it was it was momentary. It was momentary that uh, you know he had left. It, 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 he would have given up. He would have had to, or he would have gone unconscious. I think because it seemed like it was in real real deep. But then all of a sudden, he decided Li Jing Lang, uh, Jing. Jing Liang decided he was going to put three or four fingers into uh, Jake Matthews' eyes. If I'm the ref, that's disqualification. I understand why he did it. He was panicking. He was going to submit. He was going to go out. It was a last-ditch effort to save himself. And Jake Matthews pretty much echo echoed the same thing. He, he was like, yeah, yo, I get it. You know, he was panicking. He was about to go out, um, and he had to do what he had to do. I get it. But that's fucking dirty, and... At the very minimum, there should have been one or two points deducted from that, um, if not a full-on DQ. But again, what a fucking scrap that was. Um, like I said, this card turned out to be like really good, actually. And um, and there was a lot of action. There was a lot of action. I mean, we had... Um, we had Tyson Pedro win by submission, which was incredible. He rolled the guy in a transition and fucking, I think he took his back and then uh, choked him out. Um, it, it was amazing. Um, what was the other one? Oh, yeah. Israel. Israel Adesanya. If you don't know this guy, take notice. Okay? This was his UFC debut, but this kid's a savage. This kid is a savage. He was, I don't know who this Rob Wilkinson guy is, but he was game for a fight. But I'm telling you, shades of a smaller John Jones, because this guy fights at middleweight, I believe. Um, I think that was a 180. Uh, was it? Is it middleweight? Uh, yeah, he's a middleweight. Uh, so performance of the night he got. And he's 12-0 and 0 currently. And... You're talking shades of Michael Venom Page slash John Jones. Um, and the kid talks very well. His post-fight interview was very, very good. 
he put the whole fucking division on blast with some proper promo cutting. It was um, it was really good. Like it was the type of thing where it wasn't like Connor, right? Like fifty G's, baby. But it was it was on that level. He was um, he was letting him know, you know, this is what I do. This is who I am. It was fucking fantastic. And I wish more people would take notice of that type of self promotion because that's how you become a star. This kid looks the part. He acts the part. Total strikes, 70 of 94, 74%. Significant strikes, 52 of 75, 69%. Zero takedowns, didn't give a shit. Knocked the guy down, knocked Wilkinson down, and got a uh, TKO performance of the night. This kid is one to watch, for sure. I'm just going to check some stats on it for you. Um, he's 28 years old. He's 188 centimeters. What is that? That's um, like six foot, right? Says six one or something like that. I don't know. Um, but very, very, very good. Very impressive showing. I was excited to see him from his highlights, and he didn't disappoint. He had that sharp, clean striking. He's athletic. He can move. He's, his reaction time was fantastic. His creative. I'm really looking forward to him uh, fighting again. Um, because he's he's got he's got it he's got it for sure in my opinion he's got it he's got the package that you need to create a superstar he's got the he's got skills and the attributes he's undefeated which you know maybe we put a blemish on that record you know in the UFC because he's gonna fight some top level guys but he's got all of it he's got the package man he's got the talk he's got the look. You know, he's got the swag about him, that confidence about him, and uh, and he's a hell of a fighter. So I'm really looking forward to, like, you know, what's next from this kid. And, uh, and I'm sure, based on that performance, the UFC were quite excited with the possibilities um, as well. Um, and then just going through the rest of the card, there were some good fights all the way down. But I think overall, you know... A really good, a really good card, surprisingly. And I think that's that's probably part of it is the fact that I wasn't expecting anything of it. You know, when you've got Mike, uh, Mark Hunt and Curtis Blades as your co-main event, it's kind of like, fuck, well, all right. You know, I'm not going to pay for this, but let's see, uh, let's see what it is. Um, and I'll tell you what, man, it didn't disappoint. I, I, I literally thought almost every fight was pretty good. Um... I was really impressed. It was a really good turnout, really good showing. The Aussies put on a show. I think, like I said, I think they were almost undefeated on the night, if not undefeated on the night. And uh, it was great. We saw the rise of a star in uh, Israel Adesanya. We saw some real determination and resiliency from Curtis Blades, and we saw Yoel Romero do what. You know, do what killers do, and maybe a little bit of a fading from Luke Rockhold, and certainly, you know, um, certainly the opportunity to go back, reflect, reassess, um, and and make some make some amendments, make some amendments. You know, he did the modeling thing for a while, and it was like kind of, you know, he was. He was he was banging Demi Lovato and, you know, doing all that stuff. And, 
you know, I don't know. Maybe he got caught up a little bit. Who knows? Who fucking knows? I'm speculating and, you know, not doing anybody any justice by that. Um, so we'll leave it there. But it was a hell of a card. Um, I don't know what's coming up next. Uh, there is definitely something coming up next because uh, the UFC don't stop. Oh, so what do we got? February 19th. So that's going to be Monday? Monday. Weird. Weird, weird, weird. Anyways, we got a fight night coming up. Um, Cerrone, Donald Cerrone versus Yancey Medeiros, um, which is a UFC fight night on BT Sport in the UK. If you care, BT Sport 2. It'll be kicking off um, BT, BT Sport prelims will be um, midnight on Monday the 19th. Uh, BT Sport 2 for the main event, which will start at 2 a.m. on Monday, which will actually be Tuesday morning. Um, so if you're not staying up, if you've got a job and you actually have to get to bed at a normal hour, put that shit on record and watch it. I'm not... Um, I don't know. I'm not... How do I say this? I was a huge Cowboy fan. And I still am and always will be. But I think he's at the end of the road. Um, I mean, he's his record is 32-10. and 10. So, yeah. I'm going to actually take Yancey Medeiros in that fight. Um... And then the co-main is Derek Lewis and Marcin Tybura. And I think Marcin Tybura is uh, the guy who got the, uh, was it an anaconda choke from the bottom or something? Like he's a crazy, he, he, he's a crazy savage, but I love Derek Lewis. If you don't follow Derek Lewis on Instagram, smash your fucking face into a wall because it's hilarious. It's not even all of his shit. It's like stuff he reposts and funny memes and funny, hilarious, like videos or fail videos, but it, it's hilarious. It's, it's a really good Instagram. Probably it's one of the best fighter Instagram uh, accounts to follow. So if you're not following um, the Black Beast Derek Lewis, do that. I'm a big fan. I'm going with Derek Lewis on that. Hopefully uh, TKO or or straight knockout. And then just looking down the car, we got James Vick versus um, Francisco Trinaldo. You know, I don't know how old Francisco is, but fuck, he's still around. Probably take, uh, I don't know, that could be a fight of the night, actually. We'll see. Um, and in the fourth fight down, they don't even have a profile picture for Curtis Melender. So, you know, and with, uh, Lavinia Souza, who's fighting Jessica Aguilar, um, you know, kind of, what is that? One, two, three, four, five fights down. Sage Northcutt's on, uh, on the card fighting, um, Tybalt, uh, Guti. I'd have to look a little bit more into that, but... Sage Northcutt is super athletic, but I think he should be in gymnastics. I just, I don't know if he's got what it takes to be a fighter long-term in this sport. And I know he's still super young, but he's 9-2, and two, and the two losses that he's taken have been suspect as shit. Um, he basically doesn't have any grappling. 
And then looking down the looking down the rest of the list, fucking Josh Berkman's fighting. Ugh, okay. Love Josh Berkman, but fuck, enough. Right, let's wrap it. We've been going almost two hours. An hour 51. Maybe I should have saved the UFC shit for a different uh, a different episode. But, you know, fuck it. There we go. Um, I'm going to leave it there, guys. I got to go feed my animals um, and uh, and answer a couple of emails for work. So uh, I'm going to peace out at, uh, at just under two hours. But I hope you've enjoyed the, uh, the show today. We've covered quite a lot of shit, got into it. Um, and, uh, and and yeah, there, there you go. That's episode 11 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. Like I said, hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I've had a good time bringing it to you and we're going to do another one. Uh, what are we on now? I think we're on Tuesday today, Tuesday the 13th. So we're going to park it now, probably come back at you either later this week or early next week for episode 12. And in the meantime, I'm going to look up these guys that I mentioned about the Peter Rabbit bullshit. Um, and then I'll be also be looking into uh, getting some distribution set up as well so we can finally launch these things. Uh, some of the earlier episodes are going to be completely out of date right now, um, but at least they'll be there to demonstrate kind of where we were um, to where we are now, because I, I know we're improving. I hope you guys feel the same way. I hope you guys like, subscribe, uh, give us feedback on the podcast when we do launch. Uh, we want to hear from you always. Um, if you have been listening, thank you. Um, if you're new, welcome. Uh, more to come getting better every time, and uh, and we'll be back soon to do it all over again. Love you guys. Thanks for supporting. This is The Quiet Part Loud. I'm your host, Daryl, and uh, until next time, all the best, guys.